Hello and welcome to the first podcast for the year for the Lancet Oncology in 2010, or 2010 if you prefer. Richard Lane here and I'm joined this month by Emma Granger, Deputy Editor of TLO. Welcome Emma. Hello Richard. Now you're slightly off the hook this month because the main feature of this month's podcast is going to be a detailed interview with Professor Cathy Albane. She's the main author of one of the papers in this month's issue of TLO, and it concerns breast cancer treatment for postmenopausal women with node-positive breast cancer, which we published online when the data were presented at a meeting in San Antonio, Texas in early December. More on that in a moment. But Emma, perhaps you'd just like to point out some other highlights from the January issue for us. Yes, of course. I'd just like to point out to listeners that this year we have expanded the amount of original research that we're publishing. And I'd refer the listeners to a comment by the editor, Dr. Collingridge, in the Reaction and Reflection section, and that discusses this expansion. But I'd also like to highlight a few of those research papers that are published in this issue, in particular three trials. The first trial I'd like to highlight is by Professor James Bonner and colleagues, and they looked in patients with local regional advanced head and neck cancer and reported the five-year survival data for over 400 patients. These patients were randomly assigned to either radiotherapy alone or radiotherapy and cetuximab. Now, cetuximab is a monoclonal antibody um, that inhibits the epidermal growth factor receptor. And the rationale for its use in this setting is that there's high levels of epidermal growth factor receptor expression in around 90% of squamous cell cancers of the head and neck. And also that unlike chemotherapy, cetuximab doesn't increase the radiation-induced toxicities. So the trial had a primary endpoint of local regional control. And the authors previously reported on this endpoint in the seminal paper that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and that was in 2006. And they reported that those with the additional cetuximab had a better outcome. Now, the median duration of local regional control in that report was 24.4 months for the patients that had both the cetuximab and radiotherapy versus 14.9 months for those that just had the radiotherapy. The data set was locked for additional data for this endpoint before this first report in 2006. So the paper that we report in this issue gives the updated survival data, and survival was the secondary endpoint, and it was still monitored after the data set was locked. So what were the results from this then, Emma? Well, they were quite promising still. Um, the patients that were given the additional cetuximab had a better five-year survival. This was 45.6% versus 36.4% for those that just had the radiation. And the authors also did some interesting subgroup analyses that were based on whether the patients given cetuximab had a rash. Now, rash is a known predictor of a better response to these EGFR inhibitors in other settings. And as might be expected, the overall survival was better for those that had a grade 2 or worse rash compared with those that had a grade 1 or no rash. And the rash is seen quite early after treatment is started, so it could possibly be used to decide whether patients should continue on treatment or change to a, a different therapy. So what now for treatment of head and neck cancer? Well, the question now is whether chemotherapy could also be combined with the cetuximab and radiotherapy for this group of patients or perhaps for subgroups of these patients. And a recent meta-analysis of 87 trials found that the addition of chemotherapy to local regional therapy was associated with an absolute survival benefit of 4.5% at five years. And there's also a phase three trial, the RTOG-0522, that's assessing concurrent accelerated radiation with cisplatin versus the radiation and cisplatin and cetuximab for stage three or four patients with head and neck cancers. 
and this has just closed to recruitment, so the findings from this trial are eagerly awaited, as they should provide further data on whether cetuximab can be combined safely with the radiation and the chemotherapy, and of course whether there's any benefits for survival. Thanks very much, Emma. And do go on and tell us a couple of other highlights from the issue. Well, the second trial that I'd like to highlight in the issue, um, I'd just like to mention briefly, and it looked at patients with multiple myeloma who were randomly assigned to either lenalidomide plus high-dose dexamethasone or lenalidomide plus low-dose dexamethasone. And the premise here was that the lower dose of dexamethasone could be shown to be as effective in a non-inferior design but with less toxicity. So the primary endpoint of this trial was response rate after four cycles. And the findings were quite promising with a response rate of 79% for the high dose group versus 68% for the low dose. And this was less than the 15% difference that was preset in the non-inferior design. And toxicity was also better in the low dose with 35% having grade 3 or worse. This compared to 52% having grade 3 or worse in the first four months. The findings also suggest that the low dose regimen was less toxic and perhaps due to this increased toxicity in the high dose group, the one year overall survival was 96% in the low dose versus 87% for the high dose. So the trial therefore suggests that the low dose regimen could be used in this group of patients. Thanks Emma and one more item I think you want to mention. Yes I'd finally like to mention a phase two study in a quite difficult to treat cancer and that's advanced biliary tract cancer and in the small study that we report 35 patients were treated with bevacizumab which is a VEGF inhibitor, gemcitabine and oxaliplatin and they were assessed for the primary endpoint, in this case progression-free survival, or PFS. And median PFS was 7 months, and the 6-month PFS was 63%. And this was actually less than the 70% that they pre-planned. But the study was designed to show an improvement from 50% to 70%, so they're quite promising, with of course the usual caveats um, of interpreting these single-arm small studies. And one of the most interesting aspects of the study was the use of PET, as a surrogate marker for measuring the clinical outcomes. The authors looked at changes in SUV max to see if response PFS and OS could be predicted by these changes. And just one or two other highlights I'd just like to mention. We have a leading-edge editorial on recent reports on UK survival, and that discusses how the cancer care pathway can be improved, perhaps at the point of entry. And we also have a review that looks at population-based differences and how they affect treatment and outcome. In the four most prevalent cancers, that's lung, breast, colorectal and stomach cancer. Terrific, Emma. Thanks very much. Really good overview there. And now let's hear from Professor Cathy Albain. She is one of the authors of a research article in this month's issue of The Lancet Oncology. This concerns the use of chemotherapy in addition to tamoxifen for postmenopausal women with node-positive breast cancer. You will, hear a, you will hear her also referring to a Lancet paper, as these two parallel papers were published online at the beginning of December to coincide with an oncology meeting in San Antonio in Texas. Hi, I'm Kathy Albain, Professor of Medicine, Loyola University, Chicago, Stritch School of Medicine. If we could just start with the Lancet paper, and this obviously is looking at the potential of combination of hormone therapy, tamoxifen, with chemotherapy. And given that tamoxifen obviously has been incredibly important over the past couple of decades in breast cancer management, it's kind of interesting to me as a non-expert that here in 2009, there's still a, a clinical question about the, the combination effect of, of chemotherapy with tamoxifen. Why is that? First of all, bear in mind that uh, we initiated this trial basically around 1990, when at that time there was a great debate about whether chemotherapy added to tamoxifen in patients with uh, 
estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. In particular, the debate was the strongest in the postmenopausal population. We had had a series of well-conducted phase three trials in postmenopausal women where chemotherapy did not add significant survival benefit to tamoxifen in postmenopausal women. All of those trials up to that point had pretty much been conducted using the CMF regimen or a regimen similar to that, cyclophosphamide, methotrexate, and 5-fluorouracil in these postmenopausal women. We were interested in finding if bringing in one of our most active drugs in breast cancer an anthracycline called adriamycin or doxorubicin in the CAF regimen would make a difference in survival in these postmenopausal women. The degree of benefit over the years seen in the Oxford Overview, published, of course, serially in The Lancet over the decades, has always shown a lesser degree of benefit in older women than in younger, even in the estrogen receptor positive group. So that was our first objective, uh, to see if adding CAF chemotherapy to tamoxifen would improve primary endpoint disease-free survival over tamoxifen alone in postmenopausal node-positive breast cancer, of course, estrogen receptor positive. We had a second primary objective, which was to further delve into how to give the CAF in relation to the tamoxifen. There were actually three groups in this trial, tamoxifen alone, the control group, a second uh, group where the tamoxifen started at the same time as the chemotherapy. And the third group where the chemotherapy, the six cycles were completed and then the tamoxifen was started. So it was a three-arm trial. Thanks very much for that and also for, for clarifying that we are looking at a population of women here who are postmenopausal and who are node positive. We found that disease-free survival was significantly improved for the group that received chemotherapy and tamoxifen compared to tamoxifen alone. For our first objective and for our second objective, it appeared certainly when you look at the 10-year survival estimates that the sequence, that is, tamoxifen after the chemotherapy was superior to giving the two together. This is the first trial in postmenopausal women with a tamoxifen control that shows the survival advantage for chemotherapy. When you restrict it to a homogeneous population with estrogen receptor positive disease, Many of the trials leading up to this that did show survival advantage across age groups oftentimes included uh, ER-negative breast cancer, which, as you know, will have a, a higher um, potential to respond to chemotherapy in general. Our trial, I believe, was selected by The Lancet because of its uniqueness in design and being the first to show this overall disease-free survival advantage. You're an author on a parallel paper, if you like, in the Lancet Oncology, and I think the data is being presented at the meeting you're at in in, in San Antonio. Can you just outline the the objectives of that Lancet Oncology paper? Yes, so we took this very same study population because those who will read uh, the Lancet paper will see there are some subgroup analyses in there that indicated there may be subgroups of women that have a greater benefit to the treatment than others. And so we were interested in looking at the tumor itself using a multi-gene assay, the 21-gene recurrent score assay, to see if the biology of the tumor differed enough such that you could, across all the patients on the trial, so that there, you could define, define or select a subgroup that perhaps may not benefit 
from chemotherapy. And this is to do with, with a score that's achieved, isn't it, F- yes. from this essay. Can you just explain how that works? The score has been published and widely used in lymph node negative breast cancer. So this score can be obtained by uh, the company that performs it called Genomic Health on the uh, embedded tumor. You don't need fresh tumor for this assay. You come up with a score. It's essentially a continuous variable from zero essentially up to 50 or so. But the lowest scores portend the best prognosis over time and the highest scores the worst. So it's defining biology uh, of the tumor for the individual patient to a degree that may be more effective than using a few factors on the pathology report. So these genes in the assay were validated and tested widely in different populations prior to the assay being used in lymph node negative breast cancer, where it's commonly used in many countries now. And so what we were interested in finding out is, in contrast to lymph node negative, where we're trying to find a group that has the most benefit to chemotherapy. We were trying to see in in our trial the same trial population that is in the Lancet paper that I've just described, whether there is a group that could potentially avoid chemotherapy since our default in this population is to give it because of the positive lymph nodes, the higher risk. We were trying to say then out of this group that overall we showed a chemotherapy benefit in the main parent trial publication. Is there all the patients that benefit or do they, does their benefit differ across these recurrence scores? And that's what we found that almost identical to the results that have come out with lymph node negative breast cancer, there is a population of patients that have the very lowest scores for these different genes. It's a composite score for for the 21 genes. They have the lowest scores and did not appear to have any impact from adding the uh, CAF to the tamoxifen. Whereas those on the higher end of the scores had a a very large benefit and then everything in between is sort of a continuous function from the lowest to the highest. So we believe that Perhaps nodal status itself, negative or positive, is is not as magical as we we once thought. And rather, we're finding through this analysis, but a lot of other uh, independent investigations, that estrogen receptor positive breast cancer contains a number of biologic subtypes. And this particular one that has a very indolent biology defined by the lowest recurrence scores needs to have different strategies to address or circumvent uh, recurrence that the standard chemotherapy drugs that we use may not be the best uh, approach. Finally, Dr. Albain, what do you think these results of of both of these studies, because obviously they're, they're clearly linked, will mean for clinical practice? We need ideally a large prospective study now to validate our findings from our um, Lancet Oncology paper. Of course, uh, this will take probably a decade to get the final answer if the trial starts now. Until then, I believe that we need to discuss these findings with our patients, determine if we should send the recurrent score on their tumor, if there is equipoise about whether chemotherapy should be given or not. Beyond that, the main trial is telling us that just because women are postmenopausal, we should not uh, avoid uh, the discussion of chemotherapy, that there is this chemotherapy benefit in this population if you use the anthracycline-based regimens. And then finally, when our results were first 
presented at meetings, the timing of tamoxifen issue uh, changed and uh, based upon this trial, tamoxifen is now routinely sequenced after chemotherapy is over. Very important findings. Kathy Albain on the line from San Antonio, thanks for talking to The Lancet and I hope you have a good meeting there. Well, thank you very much. It's certainly exciting to have these two papers come out on the first day of such a prestigious meeting and it's it's been a, a pleasure working with Lancet and Lancet Oncology to make this happen. Many thanks to Kathy Albane and thanks to you, Emma. Thank you very much, Richard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.